Everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So very, very glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you who are just tuning in. Welcome. I really do uh, love weekends here and love being with you guys. And I'm so, so glad that you are here as well. All right, we have a theme here at uh, Christ Community Chapel that will carry us through till September. And that theme is simply love matters most. Love matters most. Uh, We're taking that theme from a conversation that Jesus had with a lawyer in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, A lawyer walks up to Jesus. (laughs) That sounds like a beginning of a joke, doesn't it? (laughs) Sorry. The lawyer did go up to Jesus and he asked him a question. It was a good question. The question is, out of all of God's commandments, which is the greatest? What's the one that's the most important? What matters most to God? And Jesus said, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love matters most. Let's be honest, that's a lot of love. Don't you think? I mean, to... To say, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that's a ton of love. To say to me, to love my neighbor as much as I love myself is a tall order. It probably is for you as well. A lot of us struggle with loving our relatives all the way through the holidays. Or loving our friends as much as we love ourselves. Where is this love supposed to come from that is going to flow out of us, up to God, and around to the people around us. It's not like we were born with a reservoir full of love just overflowing from the time that we are small. In fact, we know just the opposite is true. You know that? And we know this because psychologists and sociologists studied orphans in Eastern Europe some 50 years ago. Big orphanages, lots of kids, lots of babies. They had everything to meet the physical needs of those babies, but they didn't have enough workers to pour affection into those babies. And what they found was that the babies, not only did they not develop in a healthy way, that many of them got sick and died because they were not loved. And what they concluded is that a human being is born with this huge reservoir for love, but is absolutely empty. And this is what is true. The love you have received is the love you have to give. No more, no less. The love you have received is the love you have to give, which is why we hunger and thirst for love our whole lives. And we look to all kinds of places. Where are the, where are the places that we get love? Well, you can get love from parents. And then you get love from friends. If you have children, get some love from them. If you will give them a treat. You can get love from your spouse. But what seems like happens sometimes is that we get love from people, but we barely have enough to slake our own thirst, let alone have it flow out of us in abundance to God and to our neighbors and people who live around us, where will that love come from? Jesus says something interesting in the Gospel of John. Actually, it's something wonderful. 
He says it twice, almost back to back, once in John chapter 13 and once in John chapter 15. This is what Jesus says. In John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. But then he says this, Just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. And then in chapter 15, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he adds this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, I don't expect you to pour out love on other people you do not have. You cannot manufacture love. So I will pour my love into you so much that you can be absolutely full. And that's the love that you have to give to God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the love you have to give your neighbor as yourself. All right. We're ready to read the passage that I want to look at this morning. It's in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if you're over in East Hall, I know it's dark there. You can wait for it to come up on the screen. Or you can look at it on your phone. But Romans 8 has a passage there that is one of the greatest passages about the love of God in the whole Bible. And I'm going to read verses 28 through 39. This is what it says. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. All right. Here are my three points. I am calling this message love beyond measure. You will never love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You will never be able to love your neighbor as yourself unless you have a source of love that is pouring, cascading love into you. And that love comes from God through Jesus. So says this passage. And if that's true, if you are experiencing love beyond measure from God because of Jesus, then there are three things that can be true today, according to this passage. Number one, bad things can be used for good 
bad things can be used for good. Truly good things will never be lost. Truly good things will never be lost. And finally, the very best things are yet to come. The best is yet to come. All right, let me show you what I mean. First, bad things can be used for good. Look at verse 28. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there are a couple things you need to be careful of in that, that verse. One is some of you are, who are very astute are thinking to yourself, wait a minute. That verse says that all things work together for good for those who love God, not whom God loves. But remember what Jesus said. Remember what John the Apostle says in his letter, which we call 1 John, which is that we love because he first loved us. You have no love for God except God loves you first. All right, so when it says those who love God, the question is, how do we love God? One of the best ways to love God is to trust him. It's also one of the best ways to love each other. That's why trust is so important in relationship. And when that trust is broken, it's such a deep wound. It's like punching a hole in the reservoir and love just seeps out. Verse 32 in this passage says that God loves us in such a way that he did not withhold his only son, but freely gave him up for us. How will he not graciously give us all things? You could end that verse by saying, if God did not withhold his own son, but freely gave him for us, could you not trust him in all things because you know he already loves you? The other thing we have to be careful of in this verse is that it doesn't say that if you love God, then all things will be good that happen to you. And it doesn't even silver line it and say, the bad things that happen to you are really good things in disguise. This means that all things, even bad things, even unjust things, even deeply painful things, even evil things can come into your life if God's love is pouring into you in such a way that you are able to trust him even in that then there's something good that God can bring inside of you. Let me explain it with a story. I was rereading the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Whew, what a story. Holy cow. If you're not familiar with that story, uh, Joseph is one of 12 brothers. He has 10 older brothers. They hate him. And he goes to find his brothers one, one day, and they take him, and he's only a teenager, and they sell him into slavery. I want you to try, try to wrap your mind around what that scene was like. Like when Joseph began to realize what they were doing, how he must have begged them, pleaded with them, and then as they're dragging him off, screaming at his brothers, crying, and how far down the road do you think he got before they could not hear him screaming? Joseph ends up going to Egypt, and they put him on an auction block, and they sell him as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And right there in the story, there's a phrase that's introduced. It's a great phrase, and it follows Joseph all the way through his story. And this is the phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph works his way up in Potiphar's household, until he becomes the steward of all that Potiphar has. And that was evidently pretty attractive to Mrs. Potiphar. 
So she makes a play for Joseph, and Joseph does the right thing. He rebuffs her. He runs away. And as a reward, she frames him and throws him in a dungeon. And the Lord was with Joseph. So says the scripture. And then years later, he's pulled out of prison, interprets a couple of very important dreams for Pharaoh, and in a heartbeat, Pharaoh takes him from being a prisoner to being second in command in all of Egypt. He becomes the vice Pharaoh of Egypt. And those of, you, uh, those of us who are born in America, who live in America, we, we can scarcely comprehend the power that Joseph wielded as vice Pharaoh. That means that if Joseph wanted somebody to live, they lived. If Joseph wanted somebody to die, they died. My wife was reading this story next to me this past week on the couch, and she looked up and she said, hey, what do you think ever happened to Potiphar and his wife? That's a good question, isn't it? Can you imagine being Mrs. Potiphar and getting your morning paper and looking at the front page and saying that Joseph had just been you know, promoted to vice pharaoh? And it dawns on you that this slave that you framed and had thrown in jail unjustly was now your husband's boss's 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 boss. <laughs> How unsettling would that be? But what happened to Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar is probably the same thing that happened to Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. And the thing that happened to them was a whole lot of nothing. Because in Genesis chapter 50, the brothers are getting squirrely because their dad, they know their dad's going to die soon. And they think when the dad dies that the gloves will come off and all the hatred and bitterness and anger that must be inside of Joseph because they sold him into slavery will begin to pour out of him onto them. And Joseph says to them, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. How does that happen? How does it happen that someone goes through that kind of pain, that kind of betrayal, that kind of injustice, that kind of just terribleness, evil? And instead of being full of anger and bitterness, he is full of kindness and goodness. This is true. Some of the best loveliest, most patient, most kind people I know have been through tremendously difficult and painful things. It's also true that the meanest and angriest and most bitter people I know have been through terribly difficult and painful things. What's the difference? Love. It's love. Listen, circumstances are never the issue. Circumstances are not your problem. You think they are. If you right now are a person that struggles with anger or bitterness, the problem is not your circumstances because I can take you to somebody who's experiencing things that are much worse than you've experienced and they are full of goodness and grace. And the difference is love. And this first point 
is this, that if the best thing you can do if something that's difficult is happening in your life, something painful, something that is absolutely unjust, unjust, which is cruel and all of that, if something like that is happening to you, the very best thing you can do is stand under the cascading love of Christ to remind yourself greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for you and Jesus laid his life down for you. God, who did not spare his own son, will he not also graciously give us all things? You are so deeply loved. And the only thing that can happen to you when things go so terribly wrong in your life where something can actually come out good, where you can come out of that with goodness and grace and kindness, is if you are filled to the brim by the love of God. All right, that's the first thing. Love beyond measure means that even bad things that happen to you, even wrong things that happen to you, can actually turn to something good inside of you because of his love. The second thing is that truly good things are never lost. Truly good things are never lost. Look at verses 31 and 32. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? I love what verse 31 says. It says, If God is for us, what does that mean? How great would that be? If I said, I want you to know somebody is for you. God is actually for you. What he's saying is this, that because of Jesus, your status has changed with God. And because your status has changed with God, everything has changed for you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The best way for me to kind of explain this is with another story. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling a story to try to describe what God is like. And instead of saying that God is like a judge or God is like a king, out of all the things that Jesus could say, he says that God is like a father who had two sons. And the one son turned to his father one day and said, I want my share of the inheritance now. And commentators will say that it was like he went to his father and he said, I want to live as though you were dead. I wish you were already dead. A greater wound could not be given to a father. And yet this father gives him his share of the inheritance. And this boy goes off to a distant land, spends it all, wastes it all, and ends up being broke and starving. And with no other options, he begins that long trek home. But he knows he knows that he is no longer a son. And he says to himself, I know I am no longer worthy to be a son. I know I have burned that bridge. And that man who used to be my father will reject me completely. And everything that I had as a son is gone. But maybe, maybe he will give me a job. And he will be my boss. And at least then I can eat. And Jesus said while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him and threw his arms around him. And the boy begins his kind of talk. And he says, I know, I know I burned the bridge. I know I'm no longer a son. I know I don't deserve anything that a son that I had as your son. But will you give me a job and be my boss so I can eat? And his dad hardly hears what he's saying because he's too busy shouting instructions to the servants. 
And he says, get sandals for his feet because he's barefoot. Get a robe for him because he's naked. And get his ring. Get his ring. And out of all the things that his father shouted at that moment, the one thing that must have blown that boy away is that his father said, get the ring. Because the ring would be a signet ring. It was a ring that a father would give his son so that when the, when the son was out, he would say, this is who I belong to. This is my father. And you need to treat me with everything that this comes with because I have the rights of a son. So what that son realized was that father, anything, everything that he had as a son was still his. Can you imagine that? after his rebellion, after him running away, after his insulting the father, when the father brought him home, the father said, you are still my son. You are still my child. There's a verse in Ephesians that says, every spiritual blessing is ours. No matter how far you have run away from God, that when he brings you back, every single spiritual blessing, everything that is truly good, he still has for you because you are his child, right? So if you know Jesus as your Savior, your status has changed. God is not just your king, not your judge. He is your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. So that means the love of God cascading into you means that truly good things will never be lost. And finally that the very best things are yet to come. The very best things are yet to come. Look at verses 29 and 30. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 29 says, that we are conformed to his son. You know what that means? That means that someday I'm going to be like Jesus. I will be conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'll still be Joe, but I'll be like Jesus Joe. How wonderful would that be? I will be exactly the Joe I was intended to be before I took charge and messed everything up. I'll be Jesus Joe. And that's the last time I'm going to refer to myself in third person. <laughs> There's a word that I am becoming more and more enamored with the older I get. And it's a Greek word that's only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's the word palingenesia. Palingenesia. Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew chapter 19, he uses it to talk about the restoration of all things, of the entire universe. He says, when I come, when the Son of Man comes again to restore all things, where every single part of the universe is exactly the way he wanted it to be in the first place. You know, there's a part in the Bible where it says that, that creation itself groans for that time, but that time is coming where every single tree will be exactly the way God wants it. Every single institution exactly the way God wants it. Everything in the universe exactly the way he wants it. The palingenesia is coming. The other time it's used, it's used in the book of Titus. And Paul uses it to talk about the restoration of the individual. 
that because you know Jesus, that someday you will be conformed into his image. You will become like him. You will become the you you always wanted to be, the you you were made to be. Can you imagine what the world will be like when every single person that you know is exactly the way God wants it to be, where the world itself is exactly what God wants it to be, when everything has been reimagined because of the power of God. Uh, The book Lord of the Rings, I know it's only January and I'm already bringing in Lord of the Rings, but it's at the very end of the third book, it's one of my favorite parts of that story. The hobbits are coming back to their country, to their home country, which is called the Shire, after their huge adventure. And the Shire was a very kind of quaint place, a lot like Hudson. You know, people come and visit Hudson and they'll say, oh, it's such a quaint little town. And when they came back from their huge adventure, what they found was that, that the Shire had been wrecked. Every garden dug up, houses destroyed, trees mercilessly just chopped down, and it just was awful. Evil had come to the Shire and wrecked it. And out of the four hobbits, the one who was the most heartbroken was Sam. And throughout the story, Sam might be the most courageous, the strongest of all four hobbits, but this this broke him because he was a gardener. And he loved the beauty of the Shire. And then he remembered that the queen of the elves had given him a gift, a box full of fine soil, almost like fine dust. And in the middle of that fine dust was a silver seed. And he took that box and he began to to take a grain of that dust and he would put it on every dug up garden, on every chopped down tree. He would just begin to, to spread that dust in every place that the that the wickedness and the evil had broken the Shire. And then he took that silver seed and he planted it where the most glorious tree in all the Shire had stood and was now chopped down. And after he'd done all that, they just waited. They waited and when spring came, the entire Shire just burst into life. And things grew like they had never grown before. And by the end of the summer, Tolkien The author of Lord of the Rings describes it like this. He says, No hobbit could ever remember a time when the fruit was any sweeter, when the flowers were any more beautiful, when all the Shire was any better than it was that summer. Palingenesia. All things will become new. Listen, You will never be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You will never be able to love your neighbor as yourself unless there is a source of love that is going to pour out on you constantly. And that love comes from God through Jesus. But when you experience that love, that love beyond measure, it is amazing What can happen? Can you imagine what you will be like if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If you love people and the love of God is just flowing out of you to people. What this passage says is that love that cascades into you. If it cascades into you enough, then there are these things that can be true. Bad things, even bad things, hard things, painful things that are happening to you right now. 
If enough of God's love flows into you, even those things can produce in you a grace and a love and a kindness that you do not have yet. That the truly good things you have never lost because you are a son, you are a daughter because Jesus made you so. And the very best is yet to come. Palingenesia, when the God of the universe makes everything in the universe exactly the way he intended it to be, including you, including me. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love matters most. It matters most to God. It matters most to us. And because of that, God has poured out his love into you so that your reservoir that so desperately needs love can be filled to the brim and overflowing. Let it be so today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I am so, so grateful. You know, I, am, uh, I have always been, and you know this, desperate for love. I would suppose that every person here, if they're honest, I would say the same. And you are that source. You are the one who has come to us and said, I will, I will love you with love beyond measure. I pray that every single person here will uh, open themselves up to you in such a way that they will experience your love pour into them and that you will do what you want to do inside of us and remind those who are going through difficult times of your love for them so that even bad things can be turned to good. Remind us that we are your sons and your daughters. And most of all, remind us that the very best is yet to come. Because for you, of all things, love matters most. Thank you. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen. Amen.